Well, good morning to all of you. That was a slightly more civilized time to get out of bed this morning. <laughs> so, um, we have been uh, doing a, a series um, called Simply. And we're doing this series deliberately because we want to be able to keep this um, on YouTube and online from now on. Uh, because, you know, as new people, as people come to faith in Christ, and as they join a church, uh, sometimes they're like not on the same page as us. You know, it would be like you going to school and joining at grade seven, but you've never done grade one, two, three, four, five, and six, and you're trying to catch up with what everybody else already knows. And we decided that it was really important for us to create this message series about basic building blocks of the Christian faith as a refresher for those of us who know it, because sometimes it's very easy uh, to, to get caught up in all kinds of side issues with our faith and, and neglect the main things. So it's good to have a refresher course for those of us who know it. It's good to have a crash course for those of us that don't know the basics. And it, it's also good for us to have a resource that all of us will be able to share with anyone that we know who is new to faith in Christ and doesn't, you can say, we have this set of teachings called Simply. So we've looked at a number of subjects. We started, of course, with simply Jesus, seeing who Jesus was, what he did, and what he calls us to do with our lives. And we've looked at a number of subjects, and today we are calling this simply worship. We're going to be looking at the subject of worship today. And this is a subject that we, we kind of don't, we often don't teach on it very much. We just expect people to get it. And yet when you think about it, the average church service, about half of it is devoted to worship. Now the other half of it is devoted to teaching. Maybe it's not exactly a half and a half. And there's some other things as well. You know, there's times to pray for people and there's some announcements that we need to give. And then of course, church would not be complete without a, a, a uh, coffee in the lobby afterwards, you know. So, I mean, there's all that that's part of church fellowship and prayer and, and some information. But the two main things, you know, tend to be worship and teaching. Now, you don't have to explain what teaching is because teaching is explaining, okay? So, teaching is explaining. But we never explain worship, we just do it. And I don't know about you, but when, before I was a Christian, the first time I was brought into uh, a room of worshiping Christians, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the message, but it had two effects on me. One effect was, like, I suddenly realized how real these people's faith was to them. But the second thing was, like, I was totally cringing with embarrassment because I didn't understand what was going on. And so we're going to look at worship, and we're going to start with what Jesus said about worship. We will find it in John's gospel, and this is a famous story when Jesus is at the well, and he's talking to the woman from Samaria. And it says this, the woman, now, now what you need to understand is Samaritans 
um, there were Jewish people. They lived in Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. But in between, there was a province. I mean, imagine there's an English-speaking province and an English-speaking province, and in between it, there's really strange people who speak French. There's a province right in between. That was what it was like. There was the Jewish people and the Jewish people, and there was the Samaritans right in the middle who were kind of half Jewish but intermixed with other Assyrians and things like that too. And these two groups of people didn't really like each other or trust each other very much. They both read the Torah, the laws of Moses. But look at this. The woman said to Jesus, you must be a prophet. That was because Jesus had just spoke a word of knowledge and revealed some things about the secrets of her life to her. And she says, you must be a prophet. So tell me, now listen to this, this woman realizes, I've just, I've just met a prophet. Now there's a question, there is a spiritual question that's bothered me for a long time, and this is her first question. Who's right, the Baptists or the Pentecostals? That, that, that's what her question basically is. Look, she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Which denomination is correct? I mean, that's basically what she's asking, right? And if I really want to please God, am I supposed to worship God here in this mountain like my denomination says? Or am I supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem like your denomination says? Now, like she missed the whole point of what worship is. Let's read on. This is what Jesus says. Jesus replies, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Listen, religion creates holy places and holy men. You have to go to the holy place where the holy man will do the holy ceremony, right? But do you want to know where the holy place is? The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. The whole universe is filled. The heavens declare his praises. You don't have to go to a holy place and meet a holy man. A sinful man, a sinful woman can approach a holy God anytime, any place, anywhere and receive his grace, receive his forgiveness and be able to enter in and worship him. Look, the time is coming when it won't matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the, the one you worship. Jesus was not diplomatic with his words. Have you ever noticed that? He said to people, look, look lady, you don't even have a clue what you're talking about, so just sit down. Don't hurt yourself while I explain this to you, okay? <laughs> right? You know very little about the ones you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation is through the Jews. And then he says this. Next. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When Jesus arrived on earth, he bega it began a whole new age. It began a whole, the beginning of a whole new covenant. It was the, the arrival of the kingdom of God. And look at this. He says, it's even here now when true worshipers, 
So there must be true worship. If there must be false worshipers if there are true worshipers. In the Old Testament, it talks a lot. The prophets talk a lot about people who just worship outwardly, like a mask, to look good to other people, but their hearts are far away from God. But that's not what he's talking about. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We'll come back to that phrase. Now, look at this. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Now, we know who Jesus is looking for. Jesus said that He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to seek the lost. Jesus is seeking the lost. Who is lost and who needs to be saved? But see, once you're saved and brought into the family of God, the Father is now looking amongst the family. He's looking for something. What's He looking for? He's looking for true worshipers. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, that phrase in spirit and in truth, it, it, those words mean a lot of things. First of all, let's take the word truth. The word truth means two things, actually. It means truly. So, if you're going to worship God, you need to, like, if you think, if you think God's an angry God who's going about smiting and killing and punishing everybody, and, and you're, you're singing about those things in your songs, that's not in truth. Have you noticed we never sing about those you can't really worship God like that, can you? Have you noticed that some of the things that Christians talk about, um, you, you, they never sing about them? Have you noticed whenever we sing about God, it's about His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His goodness, his, you know, His, his power? It's all about the greatness of God. It, it, and, and so, to worship God tr in truth, the words that we are saying need to be true. And also, that word truth can be translated in reality. Those who worship the Father should worship in spirit and in reality. Really, really worshiping God, not just pretending you are. And to worship in spirit means a couple of things as well. Obviously, it means it is the Holy Spirit that is enabling us to worship, but it means that from our spirits, from our hearts, from our emotions, we are engaging in, in, with God. So worship then is not a ritual that you do, but it's a way you express your relationship with God. Now, I want to just talk, that, that, so this is what Jesus said about worship. The Father is looking for people who are true worshipers, who will worship with all of their hearts, and, and, and will worship who God truly is, and that it doesn't matter, if you can worship God anywhere, you can worship God in a church building, you can worship God in your car, you can worship God in the shower, He knows what you look like naked anyway, He created you, it's not disrespectful in any way. You can worship God anywhere, as long as you are worshiping who He truly is, and you're meaning it with your spirit, with all your heart, then it becomes true worship. Now, sometimes when we talk about worship, people want to emphasize the fact that worship isn't just about singing and music. Everything we do is an act of worship and all of that kind of stuff, and that is true. 
The Bible says that if we dedicate our bodies to God and live in a way that pleases God, that is an act of spiritual worship. However, what I'm talking about today is when we actually set time aside to worship God. And so, we're going to look at that here, and that usually uh, involves music and so on. And you know, in the Bible, what, there, there's a whole book of the Bible. In fact, it's one of the largest books of the Bible. In fact, I think it is the largest book of the Bible. And it is the book of Psalms. And that is God's book of praise and worship. And we could spend hours learning things from it, but we don't have time. So I'm going to quickly show you some principles from the book of Psalms. And what you're going to find out is, although we tend to use the word worship to mean it all, there's actually different kinds. There's praise, and there's worship, and there's thanksgiving. Let's have a look at some of these things. We're going to put them up here on the screen, first of all. So there's praise. When we read in the Bible, we find that it talks a lot about praising God, praising God. And we praise God for who He is. We praise Him because He's God, because He's good. We are extolling and proclaiming His greatness. And whenever you read about that in the book of Psalms, you find out that praising God, if we're going to separate praising and worshiping and so on, praising God is usually loud and boisterous. It talks about using loud symbols and shouting for joy. And in fact, one of the Hebrew words that it uses when it says to dance before the Lord, the Hebrew word actually means to spin round and round in circles uncontrollably until you make yourself dizzy. I mean, it's like really getting into it. Okay, so it's usually loud and boisterous. And in fact, sometimes in the Bible, you will find a reference not just to praise, but to the high praises. And whenever it mentions the high praises, there's usually a militant thing like we're an army. We're the army of God giving the high praises. Have you ever been in one of these situations where you've been at a church service or at a Christian conference or something, and the worship is really flat, and everybody's like depressed, and nobody's getting into it, and then the, the, the worship leader or the worship band, they begin to strike up a song that's maybe a little bit, a, a little bit aggressive, and a little bit, we're going to praise the Lord, we're going to pull down the strongholds, and all of a sudden, it's like the atmosphere changes, this militant thing, it's like the oppression just breaks off of everyone. That's what the Bible refers to as the high praises. Sometimes we actually need to get into the high praises, but listen, we can praise God all the time, whether we feel like it or not. We are not praising God because we feel good. We are praising God because He is good. So that's praise. Let's look at the next one. Thanksgiving. We praise God for who He is. We thank Him for what He's done. If you thank somebody, you're thanking them for a gift or for something they have done for you. Uh, So those are songs that express gratitude or a recognition of all that God has done for us. 
They could be loud or boisterous, or it could be gentle and deep. It's just to do with thanksgiving and to do with gratitude. You know, the Bible tells us to enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. In other words, start off giving thanks to God for what He's done and lifting up His name and praising Him for who He is. Then, of course, there's worship. Worship as well. And, and the word worship, it means to ascribe worth. You are worthy to ascribe worth. The Hebrew words for worship mean two things. They mean to bow down, and the, the word also means to kiss. You know, we, I hope you love God all of the time, but let me put it this way. Let's say you're married. I hope you love your spouse all the time. I hope, you know, you, you, it's, I don't love them just now, but I might love them in half an hour. I hope you love your spouse all the time, but there are times that you kiss them, okay? There are times that you express your love towards them. And that's what the word worship means. It means we love God all the time, but we're going to set aside this time to, to worship God. And it's like kissing the face of God. And you know when you worship God, why did God invent worship? Did God invent worship because he's an egomaniac that wants, worship me, you shall worship me? No, God, God is a giving God. God is a loving God. See, when we worship God, it's not just that we are kissing the face of God, but it's like we are being kissed by the grace of God. We are being touched afresh by His love and His mercy. Worship doesn't do anything to change God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it changes us. It's therapeutic for us. It, worship is usually gentle and intimate and deep and personal. Let's read on. Let's look at the next thing here. Uh, praise, worship, and thanksgiving, according to the book of Psalms, the, it involves music. It involves a variety of musical instruments. It involves singing. It involves bowing. It involves clapping. It involves dancing. It involves raising of the hands. It involves shouting. And sometimes it involves si silence or quieting your heart. Whenever you read the book of Psalms, sometimes you'll see a little Hebrew word, silah, next to it. Do you know what that means? That is talking about the musicians are now just doing a little musical interlude without any singing so that you can just get lost in the music and between you and God, you can just talk to God, worship God on your own during that musical interlude before everyone starts singing, joining together in unison and singing. All of these things are part of worshiping God. Listen, we live in a culture where people worship celebrities. What do they do when they see their celebrities? They clap. Oh, they wave. They lift their hands. Oh my goodness, the Oilers finally won. Let's lift our hands. It amazes me how many Christians can get loud and excited about the Oilers who only occasionally win, but they don't get as excited about God who always wins. He is worthy of our praise. 
And you know, when someone scores a goal or whatever, people's hands go up and they cheer. I want, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ has already won the eternal goal. The battle is, is already won. The victory is already ours. And we should be spending our life on a celebration uh, of praise for what He has already accomplished. What else have I got to say here? Oh, yes. Let me put this next one up. Songs. Here's something else. I don't know if you've noticed this about songs that we sing in church, but it's also true about songs in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. Some songs are, are like proclamation about God, you know? And so you're actually singing about God um, to, to people. People are hearing the message. Some songs are like a prophecy from God. It's like God speaking. I remember when I was a young Christian, there was a song we sang all the time, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord thy healer. You know, but we were singing it. I am the Lord, but I'm not the Lord. He's the Lord that healeth us. But it was as if God was singing the words through us, right? Some songs are praise. It's us singing directly to, I praise you, God. You are my God. You are my Savior. You're talking directly to God. And some songs are deeply personal where you're interacting with God and you're saying, search my heart, Lord. Change me and so on. Let's, let me just quickly show you some of these things in the book of Psalms. Here's Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him um, in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for the, His mighty works. Praise His unequaled greatness. Play, praise Him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise Him with the lyre and harp. Let's read on. Yeah, the same psalm. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise. Hey, listen, don't come and tell us, I think the this, this sound is too loud in the auditorium. You, you wouldn't have coped with the temple in Jerusalem. I'll tell you something. It was deafening in that place. You could hear it for miles around. Next, next Psalm. Let's read on. Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Oh, goodness. I've been in some church services, and it's like, shout to the Lord. Where's the joy? Yeah, but you don't understand what a bad week I've had. I don't care about your week. Your eternal salvation has already been secured. Your future is bright. Yeah, you, listen, what's the worst that can happen to you in life? You get to go to heaven. You die and go to heaven for all eternity. If anybody should have joy, it let the redeemed of the Lord shout for joy and say so. Look, enter his gates. Well, where are we? And worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. 
Isn't a God like that worthy to be praised? Let's look at another one. What else have we got here? Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Oh, I don't like all these new songs. I prefer the old hymns. Well, listen, if your faith is alive, there's always going to be new songs. There's always going to be a new way to express yourself to God. God says he likes new songs. So if he likes them, we should like them too. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your king. I think they've got another one in this, have I? Next. Yeah, here it is. Praise his name with dancing. Do you know, I used to visit Nigeria. Many years ago, I used to visit Nigeria once a year. And whenever I would go to the Nigeria, I'm telling you, they knew how to dance in their church. Like, they danced during the offering. Like, they are so full of joy during the offering, throwing their money away, that they would dance down to the front to do it. But do you know what they used to say to me? We would go in there and they would say, show, show us the white person dance. They thought it was really funny because all we could do in the church was the Pentecostal two-step. Remember that? <laughs> and they used to say, loosen up your joints, you know. Praise his name with dancing, with tambourines and harps, for the Lord delights. See, when we worship God, he, his presence is here, and he is delighting in us, and we're being filled afresh. Look, he crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy. Yeah, you who are watching from home, you haven't even got out of your bed yet. You're watching on your cell phone. But it doesn't matter. You can sing for joy right there on your bed. And then it says, let the high praises of God be in their mouths and the two-edged sword in their hands. See, the high praises are militant there. You know, here's the thing about worship. Worship brings the tangible presence of God. All of a sudden we become, I mean, God is present all the time, but all of a sudden we become aware of God's presence. And even unbelievers often become aware of God's presence when they are in a place where believers are worshiping God. I remember the very first time I was taken to a Christian event. Um, so I was, at, I was like 17 years old, almost 18 years old. I was taken, this Baptist pastor put me in the car and drove me to this place, where, to this home where a house church meeting was taking place. So we arrived early, so we went in and somebody gave me a cup of tea because it was the UK and you have to get a cup of tea everywhere you go in the UK. So I got the cup of tea and I sat down as other people were arriving. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I saw lots of people came in, all different ages. There were young people. And what amazed me was I, I just imagined that Christians who were young would all be kind of geeks and weirdos, but no, they were, they were attractive and cool-looking cool people, and I thought, oh, they're all here, and then older people came in, and then different, and then people started coming in. Two people came in with guitar cases, and I thought, oh, they've got guitar cases here, and then a guy came in with a mandolin, and, and then somebody started setting up, remember overhead projectors? Remember? Somebody started setting up an overhead projector onto the wall. I, I had no idea what I was coming into, then an old lady with long gray hair came in with a tambourine with long pink ribbons on it. And at that point, I thought, oh my goodness, 
these are these like happy clappy religious fanatics. And I'm now, I was in early, so I'm now stuck with everybody. The living room was packed full of people. And then they started playing the guitars and people began standing up and clapping and dancing and singing and raising their hands. And I was like, I was trying to slide down the couch. Could I get behind it? I was so embarrassed. That was just the first song. I was so embarrassed. Now, all I could feel was embarrassment. But at some point, I'm not actually sure what happened. I can't remember. But when they started singing the second song, about halfway through the second song, I suddenly realized that I was standing, singing it, clapping my hands and jumping up and down. I remember, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, pull yourself together, Martin. Like, I think this is religious mania and it's contagious or something like that. There was something about the praise in the room that I just get caught right up in it. It felt so good. It felt so right. I pulled myself together and sat down. They continued to worship. I remember they all began to sing in tongues. I remember feeling the presence of God. Like, I didn't know what, and I remember looking at their faces as they worshiped God and listening to the words and realizing this is real. Like, this is not a religion. These people, like, really know this God. This is real to them. And there's, a, there's an atmosphere, there's a presence in the room. This is real. I, I was that close to getting saved that night. I managed to resist it. But then the next time I was taken to one of those places, God got me, and I was saved, and I've never been the same. And I want to tell you, when you get into the atmosphere of worship, First of all, there is a powerful evangelistic effect to it because people realize this isn't just a religion. You, you are actually meaning, you're worshiping. You are interacting with a living being, with a living God. And the second thing is it changes us. Very quickly, I just want to show you some verses. Look at this in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10. It says, then Samuel... The prophet took a flask of oil and poured it out on Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler of Israel. Now, when you arrive at the place of worship, you will meet a band of prophets. The prophets were in a band. I mean, they were literally in a band, as we're going to see. You will meet a band of prophets coming down from there. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying or singing spontaneous songs of worship. And let's read on what would happen. It says, and at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. As Saul turned and departed to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all, uh, uh, all Sa uh, Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. Um, and when those who, heard, who knew Saul heard about it, I think this is a funny thing, um, they exclaimed and said, what? Is even Saul a prophet? 
can anyone be a prophet, no matter whose father is? Like, his father was a plumber. I don't know how he ended up being a prophet. Do you know it doesn't matter whether your father was a plumber or whether you were a sinner? It doesn't matter if you get into the presence of God. His presence can change you. He can give you a new heart. He can turn you into another person, and he can make you one who is filled with the Spirit of God. Let's read on the next one. Second Chronicles, all the priests who were musicians were dressed in fine linen robes and stood playing cymbals, lyres, harps, and trumpets. The singers performed together in unison to give thanks to the Lord. And what happened? Let's read on and see. They raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. You know, we could look at so many passages. You know, we don't have time, but we could think of Paul and Silas in prison in the book of Acts. And it says at midnight, they began to sing songs of praise to God. And you know what happened? An earthquake happened. An earthquake happened. The prison doors broke open. The, the prison warden was so amazed, he gave his life to Christ. His whole family gave his life to Christ. They were all baptized that night, and Paul started a church in their house. The power, when we worship God, it brings His presence. When it brings His presence, it changes us. And it not only changes us, but it has a powerful effect on those who do not know Him. So, I want you all to stand together, because we are going to finish today by praising and worshiping God. Normally, at the end of our service, we just have a little short song, and we just round things off, but we're keeping a full song here for the end, because we have just read what the Scriptures say. But you know the Bible says in the book of James, if you are just a hearer of the Word and not a doer of the Word, you are deceiving yourself. So we have just heard the Word. We know that God is worthy to be praised because He's a good God, a loving God, and His kindness endures forever. He's worthy to be praised. We know that God is worthy to be thanked because He has done so much for us, and we want to thank Him for that. We know that God is worthy of our worship, and we want to get into His presence and express His love and experience the kiss of heaven. I remember there used to be a worship song. Nobody liked, especially men, we didn't like singing it because it was embarrassing about heaven was giving us a sloppy wet kiss. Do you remember that song? <laughs> and I know that sounds awkward, but in a spiritual sense, let God kiss you today with his grace, his love, and let him kiss you with his blessing. May we walk out of this place with the blessing of God upon us. So I'm going to read out a few lines from this psalm. And the last line says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When I say that, I want us to erupt with the biggest shout of praise. If you've, still, if you've got breath, 
If you're still alive, we're going to praise him. So let, here's what the Bible says. Now, the Bible says trumpets, but we've got keyboards. The Bible says, praise the Lord with blasts on the keyboard. 